Great to see y'all. My name is Ed. I'm the teaching pastor here at this campus in Westerville of LifePoint. I want to say that if you are new to LifePoint, if today's your first day, if you're a guest, I'm going to ask that you do one thing. If you take out your phone and turn that onto a QR code in a chair in front of you, that'll take you to a landing page we call lpguest.com. And that is our online connect card. So all the information you might wanna know about our church, uh, upcoming events, sermons, things like that, you can find them all there. If you follow along in the listening notes, the, um, you can take notes yourself, like they're interactive, and then you can uh, email those to yourself. Um, there's also the guest information button. So take a second, hit that button, and fill out a little bit of information. And then as you're doing that information, if you go down to the bottom, there are five ministries we support at all of our campuses. And if you check one of those boxes, we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry just to say thanks for being here this morning with us. Uh, that said, uh, if you are part of LifePoint and you call this your home and you haven't downloaded the app, I'm gonna ask you to do that. Uh, do it right now. Take out your phone and then go to your search engine or whatever the app store and and look for LifePoint Ohio. It has the blue starburst. Download that onto your phone, and there's several reasons why. Honestly, you can go back and listen to every sermon that's ever been preached at Westerville. Uh, you can find out all kinds of information and guest you know, information there too. But um, there's in July or in January, we're gonna start a new series in First Thessalonians where we're gonna do a journal or a prayer journal together and kind of a devotional that's gonna be the first thing you see on the app every day. So our teaching is gonna go along with First Thessalonians and then our teaching pastors, you know, and different people in our church are gonna do every day a different devotional through Thessalonians. So I'm gonna move this around a little bit until I get the word that this is better. We good? All right, I think this is better. Um, that said, I've been thinking through some observations in marriage and parenting as I was prepping for this message. Uh, one of them is, so Tammy and I have been married for 25 years and early on, you know, we... We, we were married seven years before we had a baby, okay? And you know, when you get married, you think it's gonna be a particular way, right? Well, Tammy and I get married, and here's what I learned about Tammy early on. When she would come to bed at night, she would layer herself with sweatshirts and sweatpants. And she was like a little cocoon, and she was freezing. And so that was just normal, right? I just learned this was normal. We have a baby, and then after that, she's a furnace, isn't that weird? Like, I'm, I like lean up against her when I'm cold and like in two minutes, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, gotta, you're, you're like, wow, how did that happen? I'm sure it's medical, right? Or hormonal or something, I don't know, but it's super weird. That's one of the things I've noticed, you know, about my wife. Let me give you another one. This one is a little bit more unique. So the first seven years we were married, she could sleep through a freight train. And I mean, I always stay up later than her, typically, and I'm more of a night owl. She would go to bed, and she would be just out cold. I could watch TV. There could be explosions going on in the movie or the show or whatever it is, and she's not waking up. I could do, do the dishes, clank pans. I mean, nothing wakes her up. So we get, we get pregnant. Mostly she got pregnant, but you say we because we're one flesh, right? And we had, a, we had a little girl, Abby. It's a picture of Tammy and Abby early on. Cute little Abby. So you're in the hospital, and I'm, I'm the youngest of six, so I didn't, you know, I didn't really take care of kids growing up. I didn't know anything about it. And uh, I just figured she knew how to handle kids. She's an only child, but you know, girls just know that stuff, right? I mean, that's what I was thinking in my head. Well, we go in, and the baby's really fussy in the hospital, and, and the nurse comes and goes, well, you don't have the baby swaddled correctly. 
I'm like, well, how do you swaddle the baby? So she literally, we did a little tutorial and she showed us and then we would do it over and over again until we had it down and, the, you know, and Abby would be completely you know, in there and tight and she would calm down. And I thought at that moment, this is cool to know this, but why doesn't Tammy know this? Like I thought she would just know how to take care of kids. But she didn't. And then I started to panic. Like, they're going to send this kid home with us, you know? And we don't know what we're doing. At least I didn't. So we, we go home. And the first night, you know, we got a bassinet. And we put the bassinet right up by the bed. And so right next to Tammy. She's out cold. The baby's out cold. And I'm just sitting there kind of doing whatever I'm doing. I'm, I'm awake. The baby, Abby, starts kind of like cooing or whatever. And Tammy shot straight up. Seven years I could sleep with a freight train in the house, no problem. She's out cold. Baby makes a tiny noise, Tammy's up. And I'm telling you, she hasn't slept in 18 years. <laughs> she hasn't. She is the lightest sleeper. And now, it's, it, isn't that weird? How's that happen? You go from one to the next. It, it's like some kind of a mothering thing kicked into her brain. I, I say for me, you know, I, I wasn't sure what parenting would be like. I, you, you, you see it. You kind of know it, and then for nine months, you're watching it happen, but you're, I really didn't know Abby. But in the hospital, when they put Abby in my arms, the first moment, I, I fell in love. I can't explain that. I didn't have to choose. I didn't have to think about it. I just fell in love with my kid. You know, two years go by, and you think, this is what it's like to love this kind of helpless child. And you think, this is, this is amazing. And she gets pregnant again, and we're getting ready to have Carly. And I kept thinking, well, what will it be like? Do I take like half the love I have for Abby and give the other half to Carly? Is that how this works? And you think, well, I mean, how could I love another kid as much as I love Abby? And, and you know, your mind just plays weird tricks on you until they put Carly in my arms in the hospital. And I fell in love with Carly. I can't explain it. Love is such an amazing thing. It just grows and expands and grows. I bring it up. We're, we're in this series uh, we're calling Kingdom Values. And in this series, we're, we're saying that uh, living in the kingdom means giving towards things that matter. And mostly we've been talking about money in this series because, you know, Jesus talked an awful lot about money. LifePoint doesn't. We almost never do. We don't even pass plates, right? But Jesus talked so much about it, we felt like we were doing a disservice to our church by not talking about it. And in the kingdom of God, remember I've been saying every week that the kingdom of God is not you know, some king sitting on a throne and, and telling his army to go and expand the kingdom. This is the king on the throne and he expands the kingdom every time a heart comes to faith in Jesus Christ. For any person who understands the gospel, understands that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, and they put their faith in him and receive the gift of salvation and in God's grace and mercy, they become part of the kingdom of God. They become a citizen in the kingdom. So it's not something that you earn, it's something that you receive by faith. But you know, with my girls, and now they're 16 and 18, they have never lived in worry as to whether or not Tammy and I were gonna provide for them. And Tammy and I never had to choose, like, oh, you know what, maybe we should provide for them. Like, maybe that would be a smart idea. We should probably figure out a way to take care of them. You don't think like that when you're a parent. You just naturally think, I'm gonna take care of these kids. My kids have lived their lives not worried about how we provide for them. I was thinking about that and connecting it to this because here's what I think happens in the kingdom of God. Kingdom citizens understand the gospel. They recognize, I'm gonna put my salvation in Jesus' hands and I'm gonna trust him with eternity. But then we live oftentimes in complete worry. 
We live in such a way that we're like chasing after things and, and thinking this is what's gonna give me peace. And that's what kind of steals even our generosity in life. It's because we're so worried. We don't operate in the same peace. And I was thinking, well, how, how's it different if my kids trust us to provide, and, and really it's God providing through us, but if they trust, why don't we, why don't I trust God in that very same way? Why don't I have that same kind of peace in the kingdom of God for everything? That's what we're gonna talk about today. And as we get in, this is, I'm just gonna try to answer this question. What does peace look like in the kingdom of God? How do we get that? As we get ready to do that, let's take a second to pray though. I want everyone just to kind of close your eyes and bow your head and say, God, speak to me today, okay? And I'm gonna pray for all of us. God, I pray that you would use this sermon, use this time by your Holy Spirit and by your word to speak to us, to guide us, to draw us close to you. Uh, teach us what you wanna teach us. Everyone in this room, you know right where we're at. Speak to us where we're at, God. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter six. You can follow along in the sermon notes if you're on uh, you know, the app or on that, uh, the lpguest.com. You can follow along. And I'm gonna say three things that I think are true of this passage that I want us to get. Uh, and I hope that uh, you know, we all do. The first one is this, is that our hearts are prone to chase after things. You just have to know that about yourself. Um, is that my heart is prone to chase after things. In context, remember the series we started right before this passage picks up. This is a Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has his disciples and he's giving the values of the kingdom of God. And they are expansive and they're amazing. This is what it would look like for a kingdom citizen to live in a world that they don't actually belong to. And he's sharing all kinds of things. But then he starts talking about, and if you remember from week one, he talked about how we shouldn't store up for ourselves treasure here on earth where uh, you know, moths and rust destroy or thieves break in and steal, but we should store up for ourselves treasure in heaven where none of that stuff can happen to, it's eternal. And what he says, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes on to say, but you can't serve both God and money. You can't do that. You can't have one foot in and one foot out and still serve God, it's not possible. That's what he said. And he goes on to say this, uh, and I'm gonna read a little bit here. So you gotta stick with me, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little of faith? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now in context, understand that when we look at wealth, we're gonna see other things than what they would see in that culture. So for them, having enough food meant you were wealthy. Having enough clothing, if you had multiple uh, things that you could wear, you would wear your wealth, if you will. So when you walked out in public, the people who were wealthy would wear long robes and they have different colors that would represent their wealth and, and their, their standing in their society. And one of the ideas in their society was, well, if you're wearing these beautiful clothes, God must really love you because he's blessing you. 
where you would drink, where would you get your water? That was a concern for people back then. And if you owned your own well, wow, I mean, you're super wealthy. So they think of wealth in that way. So when he's saying, look, don't be anxious about these things, like what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna drink or what you're gonna wear, he's saying don't be anxious about all these things you think are supplying your life. And here's the thing, why does he have to tell them that? Why would he have to tell them that? Because it's so natural to our hearts. We're gonna chase after these things. Now, we don't have the same problem. Everyone in this room came in with nice clothing on. You guys all look fantastic, right? And I'm sure you have multiple clothes that you could choose from this morning when you got here. That's just our culture, right? We're able to have a you know, selection of water. I don't know about you guys, but when I, go to, when I go to the grocery store, there's like all this food there all the time and I can afford it. So that, this isn't our issue, right? So what do we chase after? Let that, let, let that sink in a little bit. What is it that you chase after that you really want? I wrote down a few things I thought people chase after in our culture, relationships. When I worked in a college ministry for 16 years, I felt the number one thing that kind of obsessed people was finding the right person. It would just be obsessive for people. They, and, like, and if they don't have someone, they felt less than, uh, that you know, I'm not as valuable, God must not be blessing me. And you know, per, people who had relationships, I mean, it was just, it was really obsessive. And that's, that's something that people chase after. People chase after children, to have children and to have their children become successful. And the more their children are successful and have opportunities, they kind of chase after that because it, it gives them a kind of a sense of, of peace in their heart. Uh, money, people chase money. I think we all know that. Um, I don't think anyone would turn down more money. Homes, better homes, bigger homes, nicer homes, vacation homes, uh, vacations. So vacations would be experiences. We chase after experiences. I think we, we've talked about that. People chase after affirmation prestige, position in life, chase after health. But I think all of those things, if you wrap them all up, why do we chase after these things? And because I believe it gives us a sense of control. Whatever my vision for my life that I believe is gonna be the, the, you know, the happiness that I seek or the, the security that I seek, I want whatever that is because it gives me a sense of control in the world. Because if I have a sense of control, I have peace. The problem is that the more you chase after these things, peace doesn't really follow them because there's always another thing. So if you're chasing after one thing, it becomes another thing. And it just, it's like the goalpost keeps getting moved. And I've seen this over and over again. I, I was thinking about this, this couple. And honestly, I, I was thinking of many couples and I could blend their stories, but one particular couple, I, I knew them way back in college days and they, you know, one of them was going to undergrad, one of them was going to grad school, and they met and they fell in love. Um, but their drive in life was to get their degrees so they could get their jobs that were gonna provide the life that they wanted. And they worked very hard, they were very driven, and they accomplished and succeeded at not only you know, graduating with the you know, excellence, but they got great jobs. And they started working their way in the workforce and moving their way up until they both had incredible jobs, making either one of them were making incredible money. And you know, they decide, okay, now it's time to get married. And so they got married and, and then they decided to get a house and they bought a house in Central Ohio in one of the best and most beautiful neighborhoods and they bought a beautiful home. Like when Tammy and I would go over there, we would always feel like, man, I wish I could vacation at their house. It would be so awesome if we could just stay there for a weekend, right? I mean, they bought this beautiful house and they had beautiful vehicles. I mean, super nice vehicles. They, I mean, they had it all. And then they decided, you know what? This is enough. We need to have children. So they had two children and they're just beautiful kids and, and they're raising their family together. 
In all of this, though, it was never enough. I knew them very well. Friends, dear friends. And it was never enough. And I noticed some characteristics about their life where they were definitely Christian. They would definitely call themselves that. I didn't see Christ as the centerpiece of their life. And, and they were constantly chasing after things. And I noticed this characteristic about them. They were never generous. They would fight. There were times when one of them would want to be generous and the other one would say, no, we need to, you know. And they struggled with generosity. And I'm thinking, anybody I know would die to live in your life. Your life. Like they would, be, this is incredible. I have everything I've ever wanted. I can vacation wherever I want, whenever I want. You have plenty of money saved up, great kids, great neighborhood, great vehicles. I mean, you don't want for anything. And for them, it was never enough. They never had peace. A lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration, not very generous people. And eventually that lack of peace turned on each other and they broke up. Broken family. And I remember thinking, how does that happen? How do you, how do, you do that? Like, why do we chase after these things if they don't really work? It's because deep down we want control. And if whatever we believe is gonna give us the control over the life that we've created or want, we're gonna chase after that. This is normal of us. The problem is Jesus is saying, don't, don't be like that. But this is normal of me. Yes, don't do that. So then he tries to show us the, the ridiculousness of it all. He goes, let me ask you a question. This is a great question. How many of you, by worry, can add an hour to your life? And everyone goes, come on. And that's what he's saying. It doesn't work. Worry is actually useless. It's, it's energy you spend chasing after these things you think you're gonna get. And then when you get them, you gotta try to keep them or you gotta try to get more. You spend all this time chasing after these things and it just doesn't work. And he's, what he's saying at the end, he's like, look, don't you see, when he says Gentiles, what he's saying is, you know, the Jews were the people who were understanding who God was. They had the word of God. They had the patriarchs. They had the law. And Jesus was coming to them. He's saying the Gentiles, the people who don't even know God, they do the same things as you. Why are you acting like them? Because here's what he says. Don't you know, don't you know that your heavenly father knows what you need? He knows every one of your needs. And then here's where it comes back. Do I truly believe I have a father who is good and knows what I need? That's the question. So here's what Jesus says. You, you need to focus on the right things. You gotta, if you're gonna chase... You better chase the right things and you're gonna chase whatever you focus on. So he basically says focus on the right things. Here's, here's what he says. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So there's, there's a whole movement in certain church circles that basically tell you that if you put God first, you're gonna have all of your dreams, health, wealth, and prosperity. But I do not think that's what this verse is saying at all. He's saying, seek first the kingdom of God. Chase after God. All right, well, how do I chase after God? I mean, that's the question. How do I put him first? Uh, there's, I always, I heard this growing up. I remember people saying this statement and it stuck with me for some reason that, you know, you put God first, family second, and work third. I remember hearing that and thinking, okay, that sounds like good balance in life. As I've grown to know and love Christ, here's what I found out, that, that you put God first and he's actually the centerpiece of everything that happens, whether it's relationships or finances or school or education or fun or family or work. If you put Christ at the centerpiece of all of it, everything fits nicely around him. And then if you put him first, your desires will start to change. That's the difference. That 
the things that you want out of life start to morph and change as you put God first. So the question is, how do you put him first? How do you do that? I mean, this is where the struggle is. It's gonna come down to focus and how are we gonna focus our lives on him? I mean, there's exercises, I'm sure. We could do some disciplined things. Uh, some things like this, like you could actually start reading your Bible every day. That's a good one. I don't know why that's funny, but it is, right? But that's a really good one. If you start by reading the word every day, it starts to mess with your mind. And when it gets your mind, it starts to get your heart. You can pray. Listen, if you're not a prayer person, like you don't spend a lot of time praying, start with just like, just say five minutes. Just a discipline of saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for five minutes and watch what it starts to do in you. Just make some steps. This is why in the series we talk about giving. This is what money does. So all these things that we chase after, honestly, money helps get the things that we want. And that's what gives us a sense of control. And what God is trying to do is take our hands off of it and let him put it in and let us manage what he's putting in well. But if we're hanging on to it, it's almost impossible for him to get our hearts because this becomes our treasure. If we seek him first, a discipline we can do is just say, you know, I'm just gonna be generous. I'm gonna manage what I have well and let, let it flow in and out the way that God wants it. And when that happens, it becomes a discipline. And you'll start, as you start to invest in the kingdom of God, watch what happens with your heart. Your heart starts to change. It's really interesting because I've, I've seen this happen in my own life. I've seen it happen in many people's lives that as they start to focus on God, they just change. Desires start to happen differently. And you start to desire the things that God desires. I was talking with the other teaching pastors at the campuses and uh, Kale, who's a teaching pastor in Delaware, brought up this family that he had been meeting with for the last several years. Uh, Emmett and Michelle um, Jarvis, I think is their last name. They, they go to Delaware. He is a military guy. He spent a lot of tours overseas in military operations. And so he's, he's dealt with a lot from that. And because of that, when he would come home, he would think, you know, I'm gonna live it up. Because you don't, I guess in that field, you don't know and what your lifespan's gonna be. So when he would get here, he just wants to live it up. And so that meant they tried to live on the best and they would, they would overspend and they got themselves into ridiculous debt and, and they would buy the best of everything. But their marriage was kind of struggling. Uh, they just didn't seem to have that peace because they were chasing after everything. So they went to LifePoint up in Delaware and, and they heard a message. It just so happened that Kale was talking about how married people typically look at the spouse and think, my spouse is gonna be my functioning savior. They're gonna make me happy and feel secure. And usually that doesn't work at all because your spouse is flawed, so for you unmarried people, understand I know that person's awesome you're thinking about, but they're gonna be flawed, so when you marry each other, you can't make your spouse your savior. So they go to this church service, they hear that, and then Kale talks about how only Christ, only Christ can be the savior. He's the only one built for it. And they turn their hearts towards God, and they made a commitment, we're gonna start putting God first. They're gonna start doing some of those little disciplines and, and going to church and going to a life group. They got involved in, and they, they took baptism as a step in their life. And just recently, several months ago, uh, Emmett was talking with Kale and they were challenging each other just in different ways, the way brothers do, right? And uh, Emmett said, man, I feel like God needs to get a hold of my finances. Now, at the time, he, he and his wife were spending more on their cars than Tammy and I spent on our mortgage. So they had the nicest, he, some kind of a, truck called a Denali, or a, I don't even know what that is. But they said it's really a, like a big deal, I guess. 
Very expensive car. So they had all these cars and they realized, you know what, we need to make a change. We gotta create margin. And so they made a video. And so we're gonna play the video for you. I'm Emmett Jarvis and this is my wife, Michelle Jarvis. And we've been going to Delaware LifePoint campus for about a year and a half now. My previous career was, I was a light infantryman in the United States Army until I retired a couple years ago always going overseas to Iraq or Afghanistan like I was, you know, you kind of, you get into a habit of when you're home, you want to be able to enjoy your life, have the nicer things, and before you know it, we're maxing out credit cards, we have no more money, and we're completely bankrupt. You know, with a lot of prayer and consulting and talking to Kale and other people, it was like really weighed on my heart. I was like, you know what? I need to get rid of my really nice truck that I love and trade it in for this Honda Accord. It just kind of refocused our energy on God because that's where our joy should be coming from. And something as simple as trading our cars in or getting rid of something or downgrading something that's of dollar value should be so simple to us when he has sacrificed so much more. Yeah, I think some of the positives that we've seen from making that switch is I wanted to be able to give to the church in a meaningful way. And because of what we've been able to do by freeing up so much money extra a month, you know, it's put us into a position where we're able to start budgeting money to start going to the church and the missions that are gonna greatly impact and help us spread the word of God. It has freed up to where we are able to do more with our family. Um, we're able to do more together. Every time I, we do it on our own or our own way, typically don't get the results we need to be getting. But if we do it God's way, I'll tell you, like every time we've done it God's way, we've had great success come from it. Isn't that cool? I wanted to share that with you. I know they don't go to this campus, you don't know them, but uh, I just thought it was a really good story. And you know, this message isn't really about money, uh, but it's interesting that money impacts our lives so much that when you start to put God first, he starts to mess with that part of your life. Isn't that interesting? And it's because it's that, it has that strong of a hold over our life. So we chase after things, and it's not necessarily money that we want, it's what money gives us, and it gives us a sense of control so then we have to fight that. We can't, if we seek that, we'll never be able to seek God. So if we seek God first, he'll take care of the rest. And he's a good father. One of the things that we do as a church, we do this you know, every other month here at this campus, is that we, we do communion together. And we're gonna take communion in a second. And let me tell you why. Because God gave us two ordinances in the church that we're supposed to do on a regular basis. One is communion and the other is baptism. And I believe they're both important for two different reasons. Communion, he's, it comes from the night of the Last Supper when Jesus was with his guys and he, you know, he's doing the Passover meal. He breaks the bread and he passes it around and he said, this is my bread, which is my body, which has been broken for you. So this bread represents what was gonna happen on the cross. They didn't understand that in the moment, but we understand it. That when he went to the cross, his body was broken. And he said, whenever you eat this bread, I want you to remember me. So this ordinance is something that we do to remind us to focus on the cross and focus on what Jesus did. So let's take, let's take the bread together. Let's remember him. Now this is just juice to us, but it, 
it represents something, to focus on something. Jesus took the cup that night, he prayed over it, he blessed it and said, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. That's a promise. That this, is, this blood was gonna be shed on the cross the next day for the remission of sins for all mankind. For anyone who would come to him in faith, anyone who would say, I want to follow Jesus, that when you take this together, you're remembering his blood. Let's remember what he did together and focus on Christ. <clears throat> the, the other ordinance is baptism. Um, baptism is this beautiful symbol that when people come to faith, they literally obey Jesus in his instruction. When he gives a command, a follower of Christ always follows Christ. So Christ wanted people to get baptized who become believers. They put their faith in Jesus. And it's, it's this moment of, of submission to, to Christ's will. And so they get up and they, and they get ready to go down in the water. And it's a symbol of, of the cross. That Because the cross has impacted me, because of what Jesus Christ did, we die to ourselves. And the water represents the blood of Christ, which washes away sin. And we come up a new creation in Christ. Those two ordinances are ordinances that we do on a regular basis. Why? To train our minds and our hearts to focus on God first. To seek first his kingship over our life. It takes effort. And I, I found in my life and in people's lives that when they start seeking after God, they stop chasing things. They stop running after them in such a way. It doesn't mean there's not a nagging pull in our life to wanna be in control. That is true of us. Worry is a real thing. But he's constantly telling us, seek first me and watch how these things are taken care of for you. So what's the last thing? And this is, this is one I think is probably the most important is that God wants us to trust him with tomorrow. God wants us to trust him with tomorrow. Here's what he says, last verse, verse 34. It says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's another way of saying, why are you worried about tomorrow? Tomorrow you know, tomorrow's gonna happen whether you like it or not. And there's gonna be trouble on tomorrow and there'll be different struggles and things that you have to worry about tomorrow. So why are you worried about it? Just focus on today. Trust God with tomorrow. That's what he's saying. All right, anyone in the room, you don't have to raise your hand. I don't want you to embarrass you in any way. But do you struggle with worry? You struggle with, you struggle with worry? You struggle with what's gonna happen tomorrow? You struggle with your future? Well, what if this happens? than this, like, what about this? And how do I handle this? What if, I, what if I don't have enough? What if, you know, I had a friend who told me, Ed, you can't keep giving stuff away. Why not? Because then you won't have enough. I'm like, I don't know. I seem to always have enough. I've... But I don't worry. I don't try not to worry at all about tomorrow. And I find myself at times feeling anxious and overwhelmed. Do you ever get like that? So why is that? And I think he's, he's meeting us right at the heart of who we are and say, no, 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 Seek first his kingship. Stop chasing after these things. Seek first his kingship over your life. The king of kings in this kingdom of God, he is on the throne and he's not a king who's got his own self-interest. Like a king who's like, I can use my peasants to do my bidding and I'll get what I want and I'll become rich and wealthy off of them and I have the military might to do it. That's how kings often work. Read history. Wherever there's a man in power, usually people end up suffering. But in the kingdom of God, you have a father who is good 
You have a father who knows your need. You have a father who cares about you. Who says, he knows all of your needs. He made you. He, he made the world. He knows how it operates and he knows your deepest needs at the longing of your soul. And you're not, a, you're not one in a sea of humanity. We talked about this last week, that he actually knows you personally. He knows the hairs on your head. And for some of you, it's not hard to count. Like it just happens, right? I mean, but the, the reality is he knows you. He's a father. I cannot explain to you what it was like to hold my babies in the hospital, but something happened in me. And I think it's because we're made in God's image. This is who he is. He's a father who absolutely adores you and knows what you need. So you think about your situation that you're in right now. And everyone has a situation. Like, and maybe your situation isn't presently pressing in on you, but you have a thing in your life that you're thinking about, that you're worried about, that you've been thinking, well, this, what about this? Everyone has a thing. Some of you have a diagnosis. Some of you have relationship strife. Some of you have something. And now I want you to know that God knows exactly what you're going through. And it's not missed on him what you're going through. It's as personal to him as it is to you. That's what a father does. And he is a very good father. Some of you in the room, you, you, you weren't blessed to have a great dad. And so you have trouble looking at him as a father and recognizing that that's who he is and he loves you. The picture of, of, of God that Christ gives us is of a father who wants to spend time with you. Remember the story, and now I'm just rambling. Just go with me. Remember the story where the kids were coming up and they wanted to come to Jesus and the disciples who were concerned about the business of the day because Jesus has to teach and he's gotta teach the masses. But the kids are interrupting everything and the disciples are like, come on kids, stop, get away. And he's like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't stop them. Let them come to me. Why would Jesus take time out for kids who's in the kingdom of God, right? What are they supposed to add? I mean, honestly, you have to take care of kids. That takes a lot of work to take care of them. And he's allowing himself to be interrupted from the business, from healing people. Imagine there's someone out there with an infirmity that needs healed. And he's like, they can wait, give me the kids. Why? Because if you wanna know the father, you have to look at Christ. If you wanna know what he is as a father, look into the heart of Jesus himself and realize that you have a very good father who cares about the least of these. And therefore in your life, no matter what you're going through, you have to know that Christ is concerned with what you're involved in. And then, you might, then you're gonna say, well, okay, why does he take it away? I'll tell you why. A, we lived in a cursed world and it's part of, our, it's part of the, you know, how it works in a cursed world. Sin corrupts everything it touches and sometimes it corrupts us in such a way that we hurt other people. That may not be your situation, but that's sin and it happens everywhere. Some of it's medical, some of it's financial. I mean, sin happens and it breaks everything. And here's what I know about me and maybe you know this about you. Deep down, if I didn't know I needed God, I would simply do whatever I wanted, whatever I thought was best. There's old scripture uh, over and over again in the book of Judges says everyone does what's right in his own eyes. I would do the same thing if I didn't know I needed God. And sometimes it's those struggles that remind me to seek first his kingship. And I need a father who knows what I'm going through. I've, I've learned that people who have peace, when they, when they recognize God for who he is, when they seek him first, they tend to be more generous. There's a guy in my life, a friend of mine, since I've known him, his life has been difficult because things outside of his control keep happening to him in a way that's like, it's uncanny. And I think, how, how does that keep happening? Why doesn't it get resolved? Why doesn't God fix this? But I watch him live his life so generously, financially, yes, 
but he's generous with his time. If you called and said, hey, I need your help, he's the first guy there. He'll fix it, he'll serve like crazy anywhere. And But he's got life stuff going on and you'd think that's the time when you circle the wagons and just kind of protect yourself, right? And yet he doesn't live that way. It's almost as if he just believes that his father's gonna be there no matter what happens. So he just, he just gives and he has peace. Isn't that interesting? How does it work like that? You would have to believe that you have a father that cares about you and cares about what's going on in your life. And he's gonna use it for your good. He's gonna train you to lean into him. I found that to be true in my life, that when I lean into Jesus, when I, when I trust him with more and more of my life as, as his father, the father God, digs into my soul and, and brings stuff into my life that I don't like, I have found that if I just cling to him, he shows me he's with me all along the way. And that's what I need. He takes care of the things that I need. So this is the question, what is the thing in your life and are you willing to trust God with it? Whatever it is, relationship, your future, your satisfaction, your joy, your hobby, what is it? What's the thing that you're seeking after that makes you feel like you're in control? Are you willing to submit that to him and say, God, okay, I'm gonna trust you for my future, for what I eat or drink or wear. I'm gonna trust you with the things that I believe are gonna make me satisfied. Help my heart to be centered on you first. To do that, you have to take a step, right? So I said earlier, there are like disciplined things you can do, like you know, reading and praying and giving. Those are things you can do. And if you're not doing those, maybe that's your step is to take a step in that area. But maybe for some people in the room, like those aren't even your issue. And giving is a gift that you have. Like God literally gifted you with this whole, uh, just spiritual gift of giving. Like, and you're, you're hearing me talk about being a giver over the last four weeks and you're like, this is my jam. This is what I do. I love to meet needs in the kingdom of God. For you though, is there something else? Is there a step in your life you need to take? Just a step. That's all I'm asking for today. And I believe that's what God wants to meet us in. We take a step. It could be a relationship. And then maybe you came in and you would say, I don't know that I've ever surrendered my heart to Christ. In your mind, it's been this kind of dance. Like, I, I, you know, I, I believe God exists and I wanna make sure I'm living well so he doesn't get mad at me, right? You do some things that are wrong and so you're like, okay, I better do some good things. I better go to church, you know? And then you think that's gonna make it work. But then, you know, naturally you do some bad things. And you're like, well, God must be mad at me again. Like, and you just do this dance, it's time to surrender that. A step for you would be to stop, stop trying to be the king of your life and just surrender to Christ. Let him be the king. You, this isn't a king who's not interested in your life. This is a king who was willing to lay down his life for you. And isn't the cross a statement? It's a statement about the generosity of God, that he loves us so much that he would do anything to fix the problem. You know what the problem is? Sin. And we are all prone to it. We're all gonna put our hand in God's face, say, no, I'm in charge of my life. And that causes brokenness. And when the brokenness is there, then we feel shame and guilt and we try to bury that or drown it out. And the answer for all of this is simply surrender. To take a step with Christ and say, all right, Jesus, I'm gonna surrender my life. Will you wash away my sins? And he'll do that. If you've never taken that step today, that's your step, is to simply step into that. Whatever it is, I'm just gonna ask that you you take a step with the Lord. So let's stand, let's pray together. <clears throat> As
as we're praying, um, and we start to sing here in a minute, if you, if you have something that maybe is specific in your life that's difficult and you need some prayer, there's the Next Steps team is gonna be in my back left, your back right in the back part of the room. And just, just kind of slip out of your seat. People are think you're going to the bathroom. Don't get nervous about that. Just slip out, head back to Next Steps and just say, hey, can you pray for me? Like you just, just, just know that God is hearing what's going on. And if you just want some prayer, do that. But for everyone else in the room, let's take a second. Let's kind of close your eyes and bow your head. Talk to God. What is your step? Talk to God about that. If you know what it is, say, God, I hear you. Give me the courage to take that step this week. Maybe it's a discipline. And maybe it's time to say, you know, I'm gonna set aside a few minutes every day and tell God, say, God, I, I wanna seek you first. Maybe for some of you, you have a struggle that's going on in your life and you just need to know that the Father hears you and just surrender that to God right now. God, I'm giving you this pain in my life and I'm asking you to meet me here in this. I'm gonna pray in a minute for grace and mercy on your behalf. And let me just say that if you came in and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, then maybe this has just been kind of an activity for you. You believe, but you've just kind of never really surrendered. If, if you wanna take that step, it's really simple. It's a step of faith. You can do that right now by saying to the Father, say, say Father God, I believe in you and I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. Just tell him that. And the Bible says, anyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. You can do that by saying to Jesus right now, Jesus, by faith, I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I'm sorry. I wanna follow you. Will you please lead me? Please accept Accept my faith today, Jesus, and forgive me of my sin. I, I, I want to follow, help me. Just tell him that. You need to know that's all he requires is that you turn to him. Follow him with your life. Let his, let his sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection wash away your sins today. I'm gonna ask you to do one thing, and I do this every week. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And if that's you, I'm gonna give you one step to take to be obedient to Jesus. That if you just prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you to acknowledge that between you and me and God, just by raising your hand up and saying, today was my day. If that's you, anywhere in the room, hold your hand up high if I can see it. Say, today is my day, I wanna follow Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I, I know you're a good God and you're a good father. And God, I pray, Lord, for those who are in the room who are going through it right now. And God, I know it's more of us than I can even imagine, but I'm asking that you would meet us with your grace and mercy. That you would enter into that situation or at least make us aware of how you're entering in just so that we can see that you're involved. God, I'm asking for grace and mercy in the pain and in the struggle. Like a good father, Jesus, we're asking that you, you help us to learn to trust in you and to seek you first. God, change our desires in the areas that just go off the rails. And God, I pray for those who I'm not sure what their first step is, God, that you would help them to see that even this week, that we would run to you. Lord, we love you. It's your son's precious name we pray. Amen.